Cincinnati. Welcome to episode 240, 240 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast. My name is Paul Hirons, thanks for joining us in what was supposed to be quite a quiet news week, but uh, things have kicked off considerably, and I think you know why. We're recording this on Wednesday the 24th in the year of our Lord 2024, and uh, we all know that um, uh, the first coach... Um, from in the Zach Taylor regime has gone on, has left, have has got promoted. Uh, it's the first time in five years. Um, we knew it was going to come, but it has come. The day has come. Zach Taylor is the proud owner of a coaching tree. Uh, that's right. Brian Callahan has left to become the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Um, so yeah, everyone's scrambling around trying to figure out what that means and uh, what's next and how that's going to affect the team and the club and the success that we've had and the continuity. What's all going to happen? Um, and uh, we're, we're going to do the same. God damn it, we're going to do the same. Uh, uh, but you're going to get me and Nathan Palmer talking about it, aren't they, Nathan? Good evening, my son. It's a pleasure to be back on with you. We're sort of getting into that off-season, nearly off-season now, aren't we? And like you said, some news coming in thick and fast for us to digest. And it'd be quite nice, really, because otherwise this time of year tends to be quite quiet, doesn't it? Like you said, it could have been quite easily a bit of a lazy period for us. And we're just chewing fat on some of these playoff games, feeling a bit jealous. But um, like it or loathe it, we've got some Bengals news to go through. That's right. And I think... Um... I think it's quite interesting. We were going to go. We we will go through our. uh, We recently released our 2024, or unveiled, I like to think, our 2024 awards. um, Ten of them. uh, Props to Tom McDowell for helping out with the design. We had a. Did you like that? Did you see the visual theme for this year, Nathan? It was the like old master paintings. Um, I thought that's excellent. Actually, I really did enjoy that. Very well done. Yeah, no, that was good and. uh, uh, thank you very much to Tom McDowell for, for helping out with that. Um, Ted Karras looked very much at home in his one, I thought. Yeah, there's always something a, a little bit Henry VIII about Ted Karras, or a little bit Tudor period about uh, um, yeah, yeah. Ted Karras. And I think uh, I think that uh, visualisation uh, kind of signified it. No, he looked very good. Um <laughs> Not sure what we're going to do to top that next year. But anyway, we'll go through the awards. We'll go through some of the position groups. And that sort of sets us up for talking about what's going to happen next. People are already doing podcasts about mock drafts, Nathan. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, I don't want to get into that too early. Do you? Do you I, I'm still in sort of look back mode and analysing what happened during the season. But, you know, the, the, the time waits for no man, woman or child or dog, really. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, I agree. I've, I've done, I did one or two the other day just to get a feel for like the position and, you know, who might be available. But I'm, I'm far, it's far too early for me to be delving into the prospects in detail. There's a few names that are popping about and you're kind of starting to think about the positional areas of need. But I think these drafts, the mock drafts at this point in the season, because you don't even know what we're going to address in free agency. You know, you're going to bang in some names in there. If we go and get a big tight end or a lineman or who's re-signed, who's not, it's going to completely change the board. So it's always it's always fun, isn't it, and, and stuff. And But, you know, PFF, I don't, what are you using for these drafts? Because I've used the PFF one I always like. But they, they're very harsh now if you don't subscribe, aren't they? They've done a quite clever sort of baby Pro, Pro Football Network's a good one. Um so yeah, speaking of Pro Football Network, we've got uh, Pro Football Network's very own Jay Morrison coming on in a second to talk about Brian Callahan. Um, but mock draft simulators, I tend to get, oscillate between Pro Football Network, the NFL yes. mock draft database, it's called, um, mm. and also Fansided, who I think were the original uh, kind of people who did this first so yeah there's a couple of three free ones out there you know but as you say it's just good fun to get going on it isn't it and to see who's around and some of the names that we you know might be around and some of the position groups that we think might be of need but but that's all to come isn't it that is all to come so it sounds like many ones when it comes to these mock drafts and you've got no loyalty do you you're giving it a bit here a bit there well i think the problem is i I know i do i do i do i I don't have any brand loyalty for mock draft simulators because they differ so much you go to fan side is right you go and you look at some of the big draft big boards and whatnot, some of the guys in the top 10 appear in the seventh round on fan-sided. And it's like, mm, OK, this is a bit weird. So I think it, it's every every mock draft simulator big board is different. So uh, I try and move it around a little bit, you know, share the love. But anyway, anyway, Brian Callan, Nathan, your your thoughts, your, your headline thoughts, your top-line thoughts on... Brian Callahan leaving um, to become the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Go. Good for him. Happy for him. You you want to see people go on and do well personally. Obviously for us, um, it's hard to measure the impact. But like I said, first and foremost, and I think you'd agree with this, he seems like a very highly regarded, nice fella, has given a lot to us, has been behind a lot of our success. Um, and you're happy for him going to Tennessee. It'd be an interesting challenge for him following the footsteps of Mike Vrabel's, a you know quite highly regarded coach. And a lot of people will thought it was a bit harsh that Tennessee moved on from him. But um, how it affects us, I don't know. I, this great one to chat over, is it? What I mean, because he wasn't the play caller, but and he has had some fantastic weapons there. I mean, he's not been working with you know a wooden sword, has he? He's had Joe Boy. Um, you know, he's had Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and the rest of the crew. Um, Zach's been calling the plays. Obviously, he would have been very much involved with Zach calling these plays and designing the concepts and working with the players. Um, he's a young lad, isn't he? It's a flavour of the week around the league. But what, what are your initial thoughts on it, my son? Yeah, I agree. And uh, with you, initially, I think it's a great uh, move for him. He's obviously sort of, you know, I think he is head coach material. And what I mean by that is that he's a pretty even keel sort of guy he is the complete opposite to to Vrabel who is a you know hair dryer treatment sort of guy very emotional very alpha male very shouty very rah 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 Uh, whereas Brian Callan is not that at all I don't think Um, I've had the pleasure of of spending a bit of time with him when I was in Cincinnati Cincinnati is very open very friendly very just normal 
Uh, like you say, I think that is the the trend in the NFL these days uh, to go for that younger guy who is more of a uh, you know a contemporary to players rather than a you know an Alex Ferguson sort of head coach shouting and you know what I mean. He's more of a yeah. guy on their kind of level, not just age wise, but in terms of the way he treats them. And if you remember, you know, when Zach and Brian joined, they were sort of instrumental in, in coming up with this culture thing. And we we thought, you know, culture, you know, every head coach says culture, you know, they want to improve the culture when they come in. Um, and it took a bit of time, obviously, to for it to, to start showing. But uh, I think he'll be preaching that. I was on, I was asked to go on our friend's uh, the Transatlantic Titans podcast yesterday to talk about Brian, um, and they're sort of like, well, we, yeah, we're kind of excited. Well, they're still, I think they're still in shock from from Vrabel going, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But I said I think they're getting a good, a good head coach with all the right experience. You know, he's been to Super Bowls. He won. He's been part of coaching teams that have won Super Bowls. You know, and you can't really argue against his success in Cincinnati you know he was uh, but then the knock on him I tried to explain that even though he's popular as a person I don't think he there is a section of fans out there who don't really rate him because I think this whole idea of having Burrow Chase Higgins Mixon etc has not not enhanced his reputation in some ways and you'll hear that it, Jay will say, and, and some other pundits around the league have been saying, it's really what he did with Jake Browning that people really took up, uh, you know, s- made them sit up and take notice. You know, that was the thing. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he's done that with Burrow. Okay, you know, anybody can do that with Burrow, right? Because Burrow's amazing. But to do do something fairly special with Jake Browning, take some real coaching chops, and then of course the knock on him, like you say, is. He doesn't call players, but I want you to listen to Jay, and he's going to give you an, an idea of what his day-to-day job was in Cincinnati. You know, he did he did call players with Zach. It was a one. It was a kind of a double act, really. Um, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I think first of all, you wish him well. I think he's a really nice bloke. Uh, obviously, a decent coach. Uh, I think he's. I think he's the archetypal uh, NFL head coach these days. You know, he's a young guy, like you say. He's he's all about culture. He treats the players uh, like you know his mates, kind of thing. Although you know, there's obviously the 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 coach player relationship there and the distance between them. But he's more on their level. He's a players coach, shall we say. Um, he's not a ranter or a raver. That seems to be, you know, he's a bit more, he's a bit nerdier than, than a than a tub thumper like uh, Vrabel or Dan Campbell or someone like that. It's not to say Vrabel or Dan Campbell are not good coaches because they are quite obviously are. Um, but you know, I think he fits the mould. I think uh, time wise is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think I wish, wish him really well. What is interesting is is how that's going to affect Zach because they were obviously close. Uh, much, much, uh, not not just on a on a coaching and a conceptual level, but as mates. You know what I mean? They were sort of like you know best mates walking around the building. So it's going to be really interesting, I think. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I always say this with coordinators. It's so hard to measure exactly, you know, their involvement in a team project like this versus players versus execution versus game planning. The one thing that I thought stood out about Brian Callahan that came out towards the back end of the season was there was a survey of players around the NFL done um, in terms of, you know, I don't know exactly how it was measured, but it was basically them saying, you know, how highly rated they felt their coordinators were. And the top five list came out, and he came third um, in that list of all wow, coordinators, okay. sort of ranked by the players. Um, Lou did make the top five for for D coordinators. I'll say it's you know knock on him, but it was very interesting. I thought that he came out, you know, that he was highly respected by the players and team. And you've got some fantastic players in there. And I think that'll probably speak volumes to um, to GMs and owners around the league that you know that the players like Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Mixon, um, Orlando Brown, some you know Ted Karras's, some senior players that you know are well regarded, good personalities are saying, you know what, this guy's a good you know, he's a great coach. And the other thing with Callahan is his his dad, you know, he comes from an NFL family. Um, you know, he's got that experience when he was growing up. He's been around the league a very long time. I I think it's good luck to him. I think he's hard to measure. I can completely see when you were saying you're on the podcast with these Titans fans who are sort of eager to learn a bit more about him and to get a bit of an inside track on his history <clears> as to why they might not be that excited. Because You've got Joe Murray. You've got these fantastic talents. Would would you say that the offense was a you know a, an absolute success this year? Not no. You know it wasn't. I, you know even with Joe Burrow under center for the games he was healthy, he was better uh, start. I don't think they game planned it very well. And there were some games with Jake Brown in against the Steelers both times at the end of the season where you know it did fall off a bit. He did have some good games, Jake Brown, and you have to take your hat off to that um, for some of the game planning and the way they sort of worked him in and, you know, saw the talent in him from the off, really, to say, look, this guy's going to be our backup, even though he didn't have much experience on the field. So that's a gamble from the Titans. There's certainly some more, potentially more experienced names out there, you'd argue, like former head coaches and people that have perhaps been in coordinator positions longer, with a bit more track record. But younger guys, especially offensive guys, are still the flavour of the month. Um, around the NFL and a nice guy, young guy like Brian Callahan, potentially a high ceiling. Um, you wish him all the best, don't you? There's no no bad feeling there at all. It, I, I'm, I'm intrigued <laughs> to see where they go if they hire from within the Bengals and also what actual tangible impact it'll have on our, our season next year because you've still got Zach, you've still got the guys pretty much there. Like, do you, Are you worried at all, son? That no, no, like I don't think I am worried. Um <laughs> We knew this this day was going to come. It, it's a slight surprise. It wasn't Lou before, you know, before Brian actually, because I, I kind of felt it not necessarily this it year though. Not necessarily this year, but um, yeah. in the past, you always thought we were going to lose Lou first. But uh, this year, I think, as I say, I think people have seen what Zach and Brian did and Dan Pitcher did with with Jake Browning and thought, okay, yep, they, you know, if we were on the fence, we're not now. This guy can you know really help with quarterback and um and the, the, the times guys kind of asked you know what schematically what can we expect and it's it's really quite difficult because we've discussed this on the podcast before the bengals don't have like your traditional identity as an offense that you couldn't say that they're a running team or or a, or a kind of a, a run and shoot game or whatever you know what i mean they are um I mean, what you can say, they're a pass-first offence. They are, 
pretty much with Burrow uh, more of a shotgun pass offense um, but we've seen that change over and the thing that I told the Titans guys he will admit when you know things aren't going great and he will you know the, the past couple of years Zach he and Zach have changed the scheme halfway through the season because things weren't working for whatever reason you know so um, I think that schematically he is a bit of a Swiss army knife he is willing to formulate a scheme around the strengths of a quarterback we saw that when he came in you know sorry when Burrow came in they kind of sat down and said Joe what do you like to do you know we'll build our scheme around you you know so um and I think they'll do that with Will Levis. I think he'll go in there and he'll sit down with Will Levis and say, what do you like, Will Levis? What are you good at? And let's build a a strategy, a scheme around there. So it's going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, the hope is, you talk about continuity, the hope is that Dan Pitcher's going to come in. But, of course, that's not a shoo-in because he might go to the Raiders and Marvin Lewis might, uh, might kidnap him or he might go to the Patriots and they'll say, look, here's £50 million a week uh, why don't you coach us? You can just you free reign to call plays and to to build this thing from scratch again, you know. So, but I would you have to assume that it's or hope that it's Dan Pitcher. I think. Yeah, um, you'd certainly think he had the inside track to it. Um, I know there was a guy that's come in from the Seahawks that um, they interviewed the other day, an offensive line coach there. Um, Obviously, you've got to think back to Zach's tree, who he worked with at the Rams, who does he know personally? Um, you know, hopefully Jim Turner doesn't make a reappearance <laughs> as offensive coordinator. I think that would burn to yeah, the that, ground. That wouldn't um, go down too well, no. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's, an, it's always an interesting one. I think it's so hard as fans to get too, uh, you know, up and down about it. I know there's people saying that Arthur Smith, the head coach from the Falcons, has drawn interest from multiple teams for the offensive coordinator position. Like, you don't it, it'd be a surprise to me if the Bengals are one of them. But, um, you know, obviously he had a reputation before he was the head coach. I know a lot of people weren't happy what he did in Atlanta. Um, but I think, in some ways, I think people are a bit harsh on him because, you know, Desmond Ritter... A quarterback, you know, not the most ideal of solutions, but you know, obviously didn't do particularly well with the talent he had. But again, names to watch. You know, you wish the best. You got to look at Zach and say, look, that's the start of his coaching tree with Callahan going. You've got Lou, that's still a candidate. Certainly wouldn't, and I think he'd be massively at the forefront. Um, you know, people's minds was each other another good season next year. Um, even Dan Pitcher, you know, if he took over as offensive coordinator and the Bengals had a stormer next year, you know, Zach's coaching tree could, you know, start to grow quite a few branches, let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's got to be a test. The reason I'm banging on about this is because what you'd like to think here is that Zach is a good judge of character and he's bringing the right guys in, he's getting the best out of them, and other people are envious of that. And that's what you've got to hope is that this is the case and whoever he does pick as his own coordinator is the right guy, be it Dan Pitcher. And if they do throw a curveball in there and say, you know, Zach says, look, I, you know, I think Dan Pitcher's good or he's all right or whatever, but actually this guy from the Seahawks, actually a guy I used to work with in college or, you know, this guy's an incredible mind or, you know, his brother knows someone um, in circles that he thinks, you know, this outrageous mind that's going to come in and, you know, really galvanise this offence, then then so be it. You know, I, I don't think you can be massively 
as a fan elated with who he hires and I don't think you can be massively frustrated about it either I think you've just got to trust the process trust Jack's uh, Zach's judgment and move on from there you know um Mm. yeah no I agree I mean the only thing the only blot on Zach's coaching um landscape um I would say is is Jim Turner he's been pretty good at uh, um you know kind of tapping up his his contacts and tapping into the you know the college resources you know and coming up with guys that are young hungry innovative um and you know by all accounts dan pitcher is the next cab off the rank i think it's going to take something quite extraordinary for him not to take the oc position but you know he's got to go out there and i think he's got an interview with the saints he's got an interview with the raiders got i think he's got an interview with the with the patriots so i would expect him to to fulfill those obligations but yeah, the Bengals have got to be in his ear saying, come on, we'll, we'll give you a few more quid. We'll give you, you know, it's the next step on your, you get to, on your, on your coaching journey. Um, you know, you get to work with Joe Boy again. You get to kind of formulate game plan, game plans and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope it's pitcher. I think he deserves it. I think, you know, he's a hot name around the league already. So, again, he might only be around for another year, you know. And there's Troy Walters as well. So we'll see. Um, right, let's um, check in with uh, Jay Morrison. And now, as promised, it's one of our favourite uh, beat writers and journalists. It's Pro Football Network's Jay Morrison returning to Cincinnati. Uh, Jay, welcome back and a belated Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you, Paul. I'm uh, happy to be back. I'm always happy to jump on this show. Thank you so much, and we appreciate it. We really do. There's only one place to start, really. Um, Zach Taylor's um, quickly developing or sprouting, shall we say, coach's tree. It's finally got a shoot. It's finally got some buds uh, appearing. Uh, I, I, it wasn't a surprise, was it, that one of these guys, were, one of his guys were going to get something in terms of head coaching job? Yeah, you knew it was a matter of time, Um even before the year started with, you know, Lou getting, I mean, he was one of the two finalists for the Arizona job last year. Brian had a couple interviews with Arizona, with Indianapolis last year. They just figured that this day was coming. Then when Burrow gets lost for the season and the job they did and getting Jake Browning ready and putting up historic numbers, let's face it, you know, the first three, four starts of his career, um, that was something where you knew that both, Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher were going to get a lot more attention this year. Now, you never know how these – I knew Brian would interview well. You never know what these other franchises are thinking, what they're looking for, all of that. It's it's a bit of a wild card there. I, they, I never viewed them as slam dunk candidates, but I knew if Brian got in and it got a chance to get in front of these people, he's just so impressive with his knowledge and his communication skills and his vision on what he wants things to look like, which is similar to what Zach wants them to look like. You knew like once he started getting very serious looks, it wasn't going to be long. And we saw that, you know, they, I don't think Tennessee interviewed anybody. I think he's the only one that got a second interview. I think they had others planned and then they got Brian in there and, and Brian had second interviews planned and they said, uh, no, you're not getting on a plane. We're hiring you tonight. That happened Monday night, and here we are on on Wednesday now, and he is the head coach of the Titans. I want to touch on what Brian's really like, because I've had the pleasure of meeting him, and you guys obviously have close contact with him. You guys have a 
among other things, you have a Tuesday uh, session with with the coordinators, don't you? Where you, you you in the media room there at Paycor, where you get to quiz them over the the uh, the the most recent game and what's happening in their uh, particular areas of interest. Um, I've been lucky enough to sit in with them, and Brian always seems to me to be a very easy, uh, lovely guy to kind of just chew the fat with and he will go for ages he will give you a a, a bit of a, a big proportion of his time yeah they the the media relations director always tells those guys 20 minutes uh brian routinely goes over that it's a, a bit yeah. of a running gag where we try to guess how many minutes he's going to go on a given day it's not always tuesday it's uh usually the one of them and we pick whether depending on how the game okay. goes on sunday if we want lou or we want brian on monday and then that is a a heavy dive into that previous day's game. And when things don't go well, Brian does not take offense to hard questions. And, and you know, for instance, the, the trick plays that blew up against Jacksonville, he's he's very willing to answer those questions, um, willing, willing to answer all questions. Then Wednesday or Thursday, then we'll get the other coordinator. And sometimes you revisit the past game, but more so it's a bigger picture, what's going on with the team, and then looking ahead to the next game. So the thing with Brian is, you mentioned it. We he will he talks. He goes so in depth on his answers, and so he goes long. But you don't get that many questions in because his answers are so long. So a lot of times, and a lot of times, someone will they'll either be working on a story where they don't want to tip their hand on the story they're working, or they just didn't have a chance to get their question in, and invariably he'll go 32, 33 minutes and. Everybody says, thank you. And he gets up to leave and someone runs up to him and says, Hey, can I get you for one more out in the hallway? And he will, he will sit and talk as long as you want um, in the hallway. It's, this is usually on their lunch period and he's sacrificing, you know, eating to, to talk to us. I remember there was one game in particular. It was, it was one of those, it was a Wednesday. Brian came in to talk to us. The only reason it cut off early is because we had to go to Zach's scheduled press conference. Well, Paul Daner, who I used to work with at The Athletic, pulls Brian aside and says, hey, I got something I want to ask you. So they're talking in the hallway. We all go off to Zach Taylor's press conference. Zach talks for 20 minutes at the podium. He finishes <laughs> up. We all come walking back to the meeting room, and there's Paul and Brian still talking in the hallway. I was like, Jesus, Paul, the man's got a job. Let him go. Yeah. And Brian just never seemed like, hey, I need to get out of here. And he's never short with you. And it is, it's, it's, I'm very happy for him and his family, but it's, it's a sad day for those of us on the beat because you just don't get people like that all the time. I wanted to talk about that because I think it's important to 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 provide, uh, if we can, a, a human dimension to to someone that isn't always seen in the limelight. He's always kind of, you know, he's up in the booth during games. He's not interviewed in, at the at the rostrum that that often. Uh, in fact, a lot of people. Maybe you can answer this as well. Um, a lot of fans out there kind of still ask the question. What what does he do? What what if he's not calling plays and he's he's always up in the booth and he's you know he's sort of Zach's right hand man. I we get that. Um, why is he so important to Zach? How has he operated and why is why important? What how important has he been to the team's success over the past uh, three four years? Yeah. So when when you coordinate an offense, it's not just calling the plays. It's 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 scripting the practice it's it's putting in schemes and adjustments and all and, and he handles so much of that and zach i mean zach works with him on it but 
you know, Zach's a head coach and he, ha he has to do stuff with special teams and the defense and, and any time that his time is taken away from the offense, he just turns it over to Brian and, and Brian, a lot of times he doesn't turn it over to, there are things that Brian does that Brian always does in, in the scheme of the offense and his responsibilities. And he does call plays. I think that's kind of a misnomer where a lot of times there's, there's voices. It's not just Zach making those decisions. There's, there's people in the booth, Brian, the primary voice up there, Dan Pitcher's done it before too, suggesting plays. Hey, I think we should do this here. And Zach will run with it. And, it, they always joke about, hey, we, you know, it's like we share a brain because they do. They see things the same way. They have the same philosophy. But invariably, there's there's different ways to attack a defense. And and sometimes Brian will suggest a play, oftentimes really, and 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 Zach runs with it. Zach always has the opportunity to trump it, and he has that final say. But Brian has a big role in those in those in the play calling element of it. He just doesn't have the job solely. So there, there's a lot that he does as far as, you know, running the offensive meetings, doing all kinds of things that that free Zach up to deal with some of the, I don't know what you would call it, just some of the, the less desirable parts of being a, a head coach, the, the, the management of the team, uh, meeting with players, meeting with the front office, doing all that type of stuff. And, and Brian is in charge of that offense. Mm, that's really interesting and thank you for providing because there's still a lot of people as i say do kind of query uh brian's kind of day-to-day -day role or don't understand it or not quite sure um about what he's doing um now let, let's move forward congratulations to brian i say I've, I've been lucky enough to meet him a few times lovely lovely friendly open fella um it's got to be damn picture, right? What's I mean, we are recording this on a Wednesday, the 24th. The situation is fluid, so something might get announced at any moment. So forgive us, dear listeners, if something does happen and we're talking uh, about something that's already happened. Uh, but Dan Pitcher is the obvious candidate here, isn't he? I know Andy Dixon was, was uh, interviewed yesterday. Is that a sign of that they are looking... Uh, outside the building is it or is it just a case of them sort of ticking a few of the procedural boxes there yeah part of it is uh, you know satisfying the Rooney rule which means they have to hire at least or they have to interview at least one outside candidate uh, who is a minority um, and, and that that check that box but the other part of it is due diligence because mm. Dan Pitcher yes he's their number one choice and he's he's likely going to be the guy but he's interviewing elsewhere you never know that someone another team the Raiders the Patriots the Saints might give him an offer he can't turn down so you've got to be prepared if that does happen the other thing is they could be right back in the same exact position next year because Dan Pitcher is, is everything we say about Brian Callahan it's the same with Dan Pitcher he's he goes very in-depth on his his um, answers he knows football inside and out he's a very bright guy he's two years younger than Brian I if the Bengals play well this year, if Joe Burrow and that offense plays the way we expect them to, and they have another deep playoff run, I think we're we're talking about Dan Pitcher interviewing. Well, he would obviously interview for offensive coordinator play calling positions next year. He might just skip that whole process like Brian did and go right into being a head coach. So it makes sense that they would want to interview other candidates just to be prepared um, in the event that one, that that pitch leaves this year, and then two, that that they they're right back here 365 days from now doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, Dickerson looks quite interesting actually. But that's a, that's perhaps for a separate discussion down down uh, down the road. What would it take? I mean, you you I think you brought it to everyone's attention um, that uh, Marvin one Marvin Lewis uh, gave Dan his first break in the NFL while he was uh, still head coach of the Bengals, and now of course Marvin is is involved at the Raiders. So, I mean, what would it take for Dan to kind of turn around and say, look, you know, actually, you know, after thinking about it and having talks with different people, I've decided to go, you know, elsewhere. What would it take for him to do that, do you think? Um, well, to be blunt, money. I, I just, I don't know where Dan would find a better opportunity just based strictly on football. Yes. He wants to be a play caller and that's not going to happen here. But like I said, he's 37. Um, he knows it's in his future and it just doesn't feel like, yeah, I know it's important to strike when the iron's hot, but it just doesn't feel like it's a, a one and done chance for him where if he doesn't take one of these play calling jobs next year, it's never going to come around again. And you look at those those situations. I mean, New Orleans, he has already interviewed with them in person. Dennis Allen, the head coach of the Saints, was on the hot seat this year. I mean, there was there was discussions that he might lose his job. So mm. if, if pitch goes down there and things don't work out well in 2024, then what if Dennis Allen gets fired? The whole staff gets fired. Um, you, you look at the Raiders where Marvin is. And uh, he, he did, just to clarify, Marvin gave him his start in coaching in the NFL uh, pitch was in the the personnel department with the Colts when when Marvin hired him away. So he was in the NFL, but he just wasn't on the field as a coach. Um, that's not a great situation. I mean, their ownership uh, with Mark Davis is uh, they've struggled to find the right guys. They make a lot of quick changes, um, and the quarterback's Jimmy Garoppolo. It's it's not Joe Burrow, mm -hmm. uh, and and the same with the Patriots. My gosh, that offense is uh, a disaster, and. Yes, they've got the number three overall pick. So maybe that's a lure there where he comes in, they draft, he has a say in the quarterback they draft, and he works from the ground floor up developing this quarterback as the play caller. Um, I could see where that would be intriguing. But man, tying yourself to the hip of Joe Burrow for one more season just mm -hmm. makes all the sense in the world. Um, unless, like I said, if, if they make some sort of offer he can't refuse. Um, and even if he can't refuse it, it doesn't mean the Bengals can't match it. They already gave him a raise last year to keep him around because teams were starting to come after him as an offensive coordinator last year for interviews. And, and they this was the succession plan they always had in place. They knew Brian was eventually going to leave. They wanted Dan to be the replacement. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if one of these teams makes an offer to Dan and he gives the Bengals a chance to match it. Mm, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting couple of days, I think, um... Yeah. And is it like you said, it's it's it, their, their their succession plan. They've had probably had something in, in the works for a couple of years now. Right. And this is the time that they've had to push the button and kind of like, right, this is happening. This is not a drill now. This is yes. actually happening. It's it's it is, I mean, that that points to the fact that it has been a remarkable run for these coaches five years, more or less uh, together in one. And not just five ordinary years, five years where they've been to an AFC championship game back to back, uh, yeah. five years where they've been to a Super Bowl and came, came within a whisker of winning it, you know. Um, so it's really quite remarkable, the, the fact, this, the continuity. I want to ask you a question about continuity. There are obvious uh, 
advantages of continuity. But when does when does continuity become stale and the need to make changes? When it when does that point happen? Do you think? I think when you see a team plateau, when, when, you know, say the say the Bengals got to the playoffs again this year and then didn't make it. I I think the Burrow injury kind of prevented that, where <clears> you, you you don't see them just getting to a point and not being able to break through to to get to the ultimate prize. Um, yeah. But, you know, on on the other hand, and that's that's maybe at the other 31 teams around the league. In Cincinnati, I, I Mike Brown really values the loyalty, continuity, all that. I mean, look how long Marvin Lewis stuck around without ever winning a playoff game. So I think I think Zach has years banked here, um, you know, as long as Mike is, is breathing and kicking. And mm. I don't I, I I don't know that you would see them make a change at coordinator without one of those guys leaving for another opportunity. I mean, Zach even said it at the press conference this year where we asked about, you know, changes to the staff. And he said, well, yeah, I expect these guys to get opportunities. And then it was followed up outside of guys getting opportunities. Will there be any changes on the staff? And he said, no, they, they love the staff they have. And I know a lot of fans maybe thought Frank Pollock should be replaced as offensive line coach and maybe some of the other assistant coaches, but that's just, it's not the way Zach operates. It's not the way the franchise operates. Um, so I think, you know, continuity is always a good thing, but it is really, really valued in Cincinnati. And unless you see a case of not so much even the plateauing of the performance, but the the loss of the locker, or maybe guys start doing and saying things to indicate that they've lost respect for the coach, or or you see things kind of deteriorate on the field in, in a in a sloppy sense where there's a lot of penalties and a lot of mistakes like that where the coaching staff isn't getting through to these guys, then maybe that disrupts continuity. But I, I, I don't ever think that'll be a, be viewed as a negative in Cincinnati that just having the same staff year to year to year. Um, Thank you, Jay. Uh, we are of course talking to the brilliant Jay Morrison of pro football network, go and read his stuff on profootballnetwork.com. That site has got a really great, uh, free, let me add, uh, uh, mock draft simulator. And of course, we we are, well, uh, if, if you're not already, I'm sort of one, I've dipped my toes into the mock draft because I think, I d- don't know, because d- once I start, I can't stop. And I'm aware that we're still not actually finished the season. So maybe we'll get you on to talk about the draft at some point. But um, I just, just wanted to finish off, Jay. You've given us a really great insight into what Brian is like as a person and why he'll be missed um um what, what how how are you feeling about the Bengals this off season and and what what are you kind of expecting to happen there's obviously T Higgins potential Jamar Chase extension there's DJ Reader there's there's some pretty big um you know decisions to be made how are you feeling about things and what what kind of things will you be looking out for specifically yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the coaching staff. I, they, they do value continuity, and I, I think they are going to make every effort to bring T back, uh, whether that's to to negotiate for an extension if it doesn't get where they want it to go, put the franchise tag on him. Um, he's not going to hold out and turn down $21 guaranteed million when, if he does, they can just turn around and do the same thing next year. So I, he might skip the off-season program, he might skip part of training camp like Jesse Bates did, who has the same agent as T. Um, mm. 
DJ Reader. I think there there will be a lot of interest in bringing him back. He's it's an injury where he's not going to be healthy until right before camp. So everybody's going to have spent all their money in free agency. Um, we know the Bengals always hold a lot of money back and roll it over from year to year. Uh, they value DJ quite a bit. I mean, he's been a captain since he got here. And so I, I do think there's a good chance that he comes back. Jamar, obviously, priority number one. The thing is, does does uh, a lot of times these guys are like, yeah, as soon as I'm eligible for an extension, I want to sign it. I don't know that Jamar is in that boat. I, I think when I don't think Jamar's joking when he says he's waiting for Justin Jefferson to sign his deal because he knows he can go above it. If, if he goes first, then Justin Jefferson's going to top mm. him. So I don't know how much of a hurry Jamar is in to, to sign this extension, and maybe they do hold that off until next offseason. Um, but then there's there's just so many other questions where they, they've got to improve that defensive line as a whole. Even if they bring DJ Reader back, they need more depth. They need more explosion in the pass rush on that defensive line. They've got to figure out what they're going to do at right tackle. There's a 0.1% chance Jonah Williams is back. I Mm. I mean, he just, he wants to be a left tackle and he's going to be paid handsomely to do so somewhere. So you can, you can just write him off. He's not going to be on this team next year. And you look at the pieces behind him on that offensive line. None of them inspire confidence as being someone that can step in and take over that role. So free agency the draft whatever that is going to be a huge piece of this offseason what they do to keep that to to fill in that because you got the other four offensive linemen set you need to you need to find a quality right tackle uh to to help protect burrow so that you're not going through this kind of thing again next year where you're you're dealing with an injury and bringing in jake browning um and and so getting the secondary right to shadobe awuzie is probably gone so you're going to need to add some pieces back there there's just since that, since the 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 Burrow T draft, this is the biggest offseason with the most questions, um, and, it, and it's getting harder because you got all these big contracts out there, and um, it, you can't just go out and, and buy your top choice the way they have in free agency the last couple of years. So, um, going to be really interesting this offseason to see what they do, what who they attack in the draft, who they attack in free agency, who they bring back, who they let go. Um, looking forward to it. It's it's a uh, it's I, I know a lot of people kind of view the offseason with a, a yawn and don't don't pay much of attention. But this is a bit this is a big one for the Bengals. It's gonna it's gonna really chart their course for 2024 and beyond. Oh, I was gonna say off season, what off season, eh? It's uh yes, it's exactly just, it's it's continual. But it's all good fun, isn't it? It's all great fun. And uh we look forward to it. Jay and we we thank you once again. Thank you. It's always good to catch up with you and uh we'll be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, Paul. There you go. Uh, that was uh, uh, old friend Jay Morrison. Lots of interesting things there about Brian. And uh, I concur. I oh, <laughs> I have seen Paul Dana pull uh, Brian Callahan into the corridor and give him a good going over. Um, maybe I should change that phrasing. But... Um, uh, uh, um, to give him uh, and uh, to ask him some more questions, I better shut up. I'm digging a hole for myself here. But there is that thing. There was that thing where um, they, the guys in the media room, you know, Mike Petraglia, Dan Horde, Lap, uh, Jay, Paul, uh, Ben, Baby, James Rapine, Kelsey Conway, all that kind of crew. Um, <laughs> they do take friendly bets as to how long. Uh, Brian will talk for in each of their kind of coordination uh, coordinator sessions when I was there 
Uh, he spoke for about 35 minutes, but he has been known when he gets on one to go to go a bit further than that. So they love him because of his great, you know, openness and willingness to chat. Um, um, but yeah, very interesting. And also, does that answer your questions about what he does day to day? I know that you you have asked in the past directly, Nathan. What does Brian Callan do? You know, what does he do? Um, so Jay went quite deeply into that, and that was that was good to hear. I think so. I hope it's put you and uh, any other listeners um, out there who feel the same. Yeah, I'm question. sure it'd be great to listen for a lot of Titans fans out there to learn more about what he was doing mm. and get a real insight into that. So you know, excellent from Jay. And you know, you see your point about him talking a lot in the press conferences and being quite an open book and a likable guy. And those surveys going around the league. At the end of the day, when you get a head coach, and we can all vouch for this with Zach Taylor, as fans, what you want, first of all, you want to win. All right, fine, yes. But you also want someone that is a great representation of your franchise, someone that speaks well, someone that's not afraid to take it on the chin, someone that's positive, you know, really sort of, um, like I said, represents your franchise in a good way. And what the one thing, the person that you do, do not want as your head coach, especially if he's not winning, is Bill Belichick. Look, that type of character <laughs> is a miserable old sod. Like, Bill Belichick wins games. He's won countless Super Bowls. He can get away with it. Fair play to the geezer. But what you don't want is someone coming in like that that potentially is a bit of a taskmaster, rubs players up the wrong way, and doesn't win. You know, it's, it's yeah, all well yeah, and good, yeah. someone tub-thumping, like, a you know, whoever it might be, Vrabel, Cam, whoever. But you've got to win, and you've got to, you know, be galvanise the fans and motivate them and make them, you know, think they're doing a good job. But I think for a long time, Zach Taylor comes across to us as fans as a really lovely nice guy and sort of bloke you'd like a pint with down the pub certainly not someone that's going to be scrapping in the streets after our, you know eight pints just comes across as a lovely bloke now i think a lot of people with zach taylor for a while thought perhaps he was just a bit of a pushover and players were starting to take the piss and had he lost the locker room there's a lot of chat about that at the start and to zach's absolute credit he turned it around and did a great job now callahan He's got that challenge, isn't he? Because I think it will be a shock for him going into Tennessee because a lot of the players are going to be used to Mike Vrabel, you know, big, big linebacker, was under Bill Belichick, you know, that that sort of character, perhaps a bit stricter, a bit, mm. you know, a bit more sort of, you know, tough guy approach. You've got um, Will Levis, bit of a, you know, a bit of a hard quarterback, you know, he's not afraid to take a few shots and run it up the middle, tough guy himself. So yeah, it's going to be interesting for Callahan going in there as a younger guy to this team and to see what he can what you can do but like I said you you wish him all the best and I think from a character perspective it's great to know for the Tennessee Titan fans and for us as Bengals fans even you know that what he was doing and that he's going to represent you and be accountable agreed and there was a hot take from Jay there at the end wasn't it he was like a hundred switching gears a little bit 100% that Jonah Williams will not be there next season how about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I don't I'm think I don't think I've heard anyone say that yet, and um, so that's interesting. He might be down there for Tennessee with Brian. You never know. That's the next question. Who's he going? He might who, if he takes anyone. Who's he going to take with him? I think Jonah might be uh, a prime candidate, really. Um, and of course, uh, number five as well. But we'll get onto that a bit later. Right, we need to switch gears again. Um, Nathan, ten minutes. We're going to look back. Um, at the season uh, let's go through our awards shall we um, just to confirm things you can see them all on our social media platforms uh, Twitter X uh, at today underscore UK Bengals UK on on Facebook and 
uh, uh, Bengals underscore UK on the old Instagram. Now, we chose for the performance of the year Jake Browning, uh, who went 30, uh, 32 or 37 for 357 yards and a touchdown with 115.5 QBR against Jacksonville. That that performance came out of nowhere, but it kind of reignited the season, didn't it? I think that's a worthy winner, really. Completely agree. And like I think you said it best, it came from nowhere. No one expected us to win that game against a good Jacksonville team on the road. No one expected a huge amount from him. I think it was his second NFL start at the time. He played lights out the geezer, got us over the line and rightly deserves that award. Uh, next up, um, T. Higgins wins play of the year for his sort of reach back touchdown against um, Minnesota. There was some discussion here because that Joe Burrow escape and scramble against the 49ers was something pretty insane. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think that reach back TD by T was pretty. I mean, I'd not seen a touchdown like that. I think ever before that was something extraordinary um i think burrow wins on the skill for me but t on the flamboyance yeah. uh, you know that's a it's been like that jerome simpson play for all those years ago yeah. you know if he hadn't got it, it wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference you'd have still been first and goal from the one or two but you know extraordinary um ability and effort to do that but i think skill wise that joe boy one against the 49ers that's a you know on the road against their ferocious defense that's that's joe boy personified unbelievable play you do realise that uh, we beat the 49ers quite handily. I know. I know. Uh, and they're in the NFC Championship game. And we also beat the Bills quite handily. And they, I know they're not in the NFC Championship game, but they got to the divisional one. Oh, there's a lot of what ifs, aren't there, really? What if Borrow was we healthy? What if. We played a really good game against the Chiefs, you know, with Jake Brown in our yes. backup and a few other knocks. Well, there. at least that first half, I'd say. But uh, yes, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, T. Higgins um, here at Paycor in Cincinnati next year. <sighs> I think there's a forty percent chance that he is forty. I see. I, I think I'm, I'm going to say seventy percent. I think I think he'll be here on the tag. I really do. Um, do you know my opinion on it cool. and this is potentially controversial but I've been thinking about this in the last couple of weeks um, I I don't know I don't know about it I, obviously if T's back I'm happy he's a great guy he's a good player your franchise tag you're paying him a lot of money 21 and million know, yeah and for fans it's not our money but ultimately it's like that money can go elsewhere you know and We've got Jamar Chase. He's going to get paid. He's the number one guy here. Do you want to be paying more or less number one money to T. Higgins? Now, I'm not knocking the guy's ability. I'm not knocking that, you know, he's a very good wide receiver. But are we saying this guy unequivocally is a number one receiver? No questions asked. You know, he's had a couple of very good seasons, just about 1,000-yard seasons, six, seven touchdowns. He's had some knocks. Um Obviously, you can, Tyler Boyd is no way there's going. Tyler Boyd's going to be back, and behind that, you know, it's some depth pieces, some young guys. You know, there's no one obvious there that's going to step up and be your number two guy. It would have to be a free agent signing or a draft pick. So you can see the need there for keeping the band together. But 
is it a good use of our money, son? Like, is is he a, is he a number one receiver in your mind, ability wise? Oh, Has he got that speed? Has he got the? I think he I think I think he I think he is. I think he's a really good player. I just think the knock on him is that his durability. Uh, look at you know how how much he, how many injuries he's had over the past couple of three years. I also think I'm I'm exactly like you. I'm a bit conservative when it comes to roster building. I would rather, you know, the the team has got too many holes for my liking to pay another wide receiver. Now, yeah. he's, he's a great player and he's been brilliant. I love T Higgins. I want to keep him, but I, I just it just gnaws at me. I think that money could go elsewhere. Um, and plus, wide receiver is one of you know. There's there's loads of wide receivers in the draft. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but, but we'll it's see. Like, it's such it's such a difficult. Paying... Sorry, Sam. No, go ahead. If you're paying Joe Burrow big bucks, you're paying Jamar Chase big bucks, part of that reason is uh, you're not just saying to them to look, you boys go out and sort it out yourself. But, you know, you look at what Tom Brady was able to do for years with a bit of a, you know, makeshift cast of wide receivers, made people look good. You look what Patrick Mahomes is doing at the moment with Valdez Scantling and Rasheed Rice and some of these guys that come into the season, Kadarius Tonys, that you, you wouldn't draft them in fantasy. You don't, they're not big guys, you know, they're not your Tyreek Hills. And he's in the, the conference championship again. Um, with a much poorer cast, people dropping passes. And that's because they can't afford to pay everyone. They can't pay Joe Tooney on the line. He, you know, Mahomes' contract, Chris Jones, all the you know the talent that they've got stacked across the roster. And I do think at points, you know, if you're going to be paying T. Higgins on the franchise tag, top five receiver money, or God knows what he'd want for a bigger contract there over a longer period of time, that is going to be at the expense of the offensive line, running back, potentially the D line. I think at a certain point, you've made Joe Boy the highest paid player um, in the NFL. Jamar Chase is going to get a fat contract when he gets it. You might just have to say, look, fellas, we're going to, to your point, we'll look to the draft, look at some budget free agent signings, maybe people, you know, that people are a bit, you know, not sure on or have had a down year or young players that perhaps haven't got the opportunity and try and maximize that and put that money elsewhere. Now, it's unpopular because whenever you have a star player, and it's a great player and a great guy like T Higgins. You want to try and keep him on the roster. But we have to be mindful that it's not T or nothing. It's T or a nice, really good premium O-lineman. T or a premium linebacker, defensive end, you know, defensive tackle that we've been quite weak at. So, yeah, it's so hard, this roster building stuff. Isn't it? it is, it is, it is. And um, I was talking to... I was talking to Jay offline and, and, and I kind of expressed that and he, and he said well yeah, the temptation is to just to run it back one more season for one more go because how often do you get the chance to have a crack at the big prize with two number one receivers it doesn't happen very often um, and also um, if, he, if he's willing to play under the franchise tag and we'll know pretty soon actually I think early March is when when the franchise tag franchise tags are announced. Um, he can then just leave with his head held high, and the Bengals will get a compensatory pick, a third rounder, all being well. So there is there is some reward for keeping him. You know, let's put it that way. So, don't know. I th- I think I think they'll keep him for a year. But anyway, right on to the next. Um, most underrated player of the year I think BJ Hill was a popular candidate in this one uh, but we went for uh, Drew Sample he really came on this year didn't he and um, 
and uh, became quite a crucial part of the offense really lining up in the backfield almost like an h-back as a as a fullback there uh, more passes i think than he's ever caught more touchdown passes as well so drew had a great year any any uh, any uh, objections to that one i wouldn't have been my choice oh go on who would be your most who would be your most underrated then um alex kappa maybe uh uh, a Ted Caras or um, I don't know uh, oh, I don't know maybe Chase Brown I thought he did an exceptional job when he came in in a team you know missing its quarterback the team's naturally going to try and sort of stop the run I thought he looked really exciting and played you know had some fantastic plays towards the end of the season there it's hard I'm I'm not sure there was too many players that you'd... You know, I, I, mean, I, I think Jordan Battle was underrated until the last week or two of the season. I don't think anyone really had a great eye on what he was doing. And he's been named in the all-rookie team and all of a sudden right. people were gusting right. about him and his PFF grades. And, you know, it's hard always to measure the play of safeties as a fan. But all of a sudden it's exploded in terms of how how well he's played at the back end of the years. I think you could argue that he was underrated for a long period of time. I, I think Drew Sample did all right, but... If it wouldn't have been much worse. Well, there you go. Uh, Coach of the year, Dan Pitcher. I don't think there was any argument there, really. Uh, I think Lou and his defence had a bit of an off year. Um, and I think Dan Pitcher... You know. There's so many opportunities there, isn't there, for him now? And you, you know, he was a bit almost a shoe in last year, and I think he must be a bit gutted because there's some fantastic jobs out there this year. And you know, in some ways, I'm still surprised that he hasn't been given a couple of interviews. But obviously, it was a down year, as you said. Uh, players, player of the year, which is basically who who is you know personality-wise, he might not be the best player on the team, but he's universally loved by the players, universally loved by the fans. Um, and it's a bit of a nod to those awards that you used to get at your your, your football team when you were a kid. There's always a, a player's player, isn't there? So um, we went for Ted Karras. Not only, obviously, do we know that he's a fantastic personality, very open with the fans, really good fun, great in the locker room by all accounts, but also his Cincy Hat initiative has been absolutely insane. And uh, we all hope that he's, he's going to become the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Um, but we'll see. But I don't think there's any arguments with Ted Karras for that category, is there? No, no, not at all. Um, you mentioned Jordan Battle, and we named him Rookie of the Year. And this was a hard one because, like you said, Jordan Battle started off the year quite... It was quite difficult for him, what we've been hearing, and he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He took some bad angles on, on tackles and... He was in the wrong position a few times, but he started to flash more and more as the season wore on, which is a good sign. You want your rookies to be learning on the job and showing improvement. He certainly did that. But up until then, I thought DJ Turner was the rookie of the year. I thought he was playing really well. But then um, he went off a bit of a cliff to DJ. Um, now, Andre Yosevash had a really good rookie season. A lot of you were talking about wide receivers stepping up. Uh, the hope is that he will step up into something next year. The same with Charlie Jones. He had a few moans but was injured for for um, bits of the season. Miles Murphy was a bit of a disappointment, I have to say. But again, he flashed a little bit. Who else am I missing here? Pretty much everyone uh, in our rookie class last year saw substantial action, uh, which is great. You know, we often moan that, you know, 
rookies get red-shirted or they're not used enough, but they were used last year, uh, or at least last season. And um, uh, and I think at the end of it, he sort of came up on the outside, really, and uh, lunged for the line and got there in front of DJ Turner and Andre Yosevash. I think it was Jordan Battle. Uh, so he's our Rookie of the Year. Well done, Jordan. I think next year's success for this team in large parts will depend on the progression of this rookie class. Because like you said, they saw a lot of playing time, more so than I can ever remember from a Bengals rookie class. There was a lot of flashes. There was no one that was perfect. Maybe Battle, I think you're right in saying that he deserves the award. I think he probably stood out the most. Um, But all of them, you know, even Brad Robbins, you look at that and say that he's going to, they're not going to cut him tomorrow. They're going to bring him into camp, give him a chance. You just want to see some of these guys take that step forward. A few people I've been reading on Twitter, and I kind of see this as well, talking about Andre Yoshevas saying, you know, he had a great year, he got involved, but is he going to be able to take that step forward? Is he destined to just be a bit of a sort of, you know, flashy player here and there, and, you know, your number four or five guy, or has he got the speed? You know, has he got that next level in him? And, you know, that's the same with... Um, Charlie Jones as well you know he's going to be having a battle on the roster with people like Irwin and um, obviously Yoshivas as well so it'll be fascinating Murphy as well you know you don't invest our first round picking someone and expect anything less than them to be a real big contributor and play at a high level Turner as well in the secondary you know like you said Flash but took a bit of a step back at the end of the season obviously they're all going to have another camp under their belt they're going to have another um, year learning the system all of those guys could be impact stars for us next year, all of them. And how often can you ever say that? Um, so, yeah, and I haven't even touched on the the running back side on Chase Brown. I That's mean, right. He could, he, well, he I, could I didn't start. mention him either. And he, was, he looked yeah, terrific. He so. Yeah, I wouldn't be uncomfortable next year if they turned around and said, he's a starter and we, you know, we're going to draft a bit of a you know, a bit of a bruiser in the third or fourth round to compliment him and they, them two are going to run it and we're not, you know, there's not going to be much money invested in the position. I don't think they need, we don't need to go on to all this now. I don't think they need to go out there and think about Saquon Barkley's and Edward Teller's and even Mixon. You know, I think that you can go, if you're going to roster build, get a big, big guy that's, you know, a bit bigger, can take a few of the carries and alternate them to, I'd be happy with that. But like I said, this rookie class going into next year, all of them have the opportunity to take this team forward at a cost-effective way um, and provide depth at the worst. Hmm. Uh, special teams player was not Brad Robbins. It was uh, Evan McPherson. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Charlie Jones had his moment. Um, yeah. Um, Tyson Anson looked really good uh, until he got injured, um, but um, it was Evan. Now, Defensive Player of the Year... I don't think, you know, obviously DJ Reed is there or thereabouts every year. Uh, again, BJ Hill played well. Um, you know, um, Jordan Battle, you can throw in there, but really had to be Trey Hendrickson, didn't it, for Defensive Player of the Year? I think I think he sort of elevated this team. If I mean, we would have been in real trouble if uh, Trey Hendrickson wasn't on our teams. Um, so, yeah, I think Trey is a worthy winner there unquestionable and would you say he's the best free agent signing in Bengals history uh, without having to sit down my my initial reaction is yes so certainly in the ne- in the last 20 years definitely definitely um, yeah. ok offensive player we went for Jamar Chase um, you know obviously Browning did a fine job 
others, you know, T when on the field was good. Tyler Boyd took a bit of a step back, I thought, uh, which was a shame. Um, you know, some of the offensive pl- linemen played okay. Chase Brown looked good. Mixon had a solid season, whatever you want to say about Joe Mixon. He did have a solid season. Another 1,000-yard season for Joe Mixon. Uh, we went for Jamar Chase. I don't think there was any argument with that, Nathan. Was that I just again? He's one of those players that elevates this team, and certainly in the early period, in the early going, um, when Joe Boy was nursing, they were trying, or at least trying to get a nurse Joe Boy through those initial first sort of four or five games. Um, it was basically Jamar Chase was the offense. That was just passing the ball to Jamar Chase, basically screens little swing passes whatever they might be just he was he was phenomenal um so yeah another good year for jamar i think yeah i, I think he has to be the logical choice there he played really well obviously didn't benefit at times from brilliant quarterback play for various reasons but 100 receptions carried the offense was on the field a lot as well um and i think you he'll be the first to say had a few knocks that he played through throughout the season toughed it out um, yeah, great season from him. And finally, the player of the year. Um, again, it was it was down to Jamar or Trey Hendrickson. We went for Trey Hendrickson just because he was close to becoming sack leader and the, the league's sack leader, which is a phenomenal achievement, really. Um, and also, you know, club sack leader, uh, club record holder. Uh, again, a, a, a phenomenal achievement. And again, I think. Um, He's, we talk about players that can change games like Miles Garrett, you know, elsewhere, TJ Watt, all those sort of guys, um, Micah Parsons, all those, you know, amazing pass rushers. Trey Hendrickson um, did get some love, actually. The, I think the, the football writers uh, chose him for their all pro team, but plenty, he's been snubbed a bit for the pro, well, no, he's pro bowl, isn't he? But for the all pro teams. Um, but I think, you know, he's shown that he can change games. He is our game changer. He is our... He might not be physically as stacked as Miles Garrett or TJ Watt, but he is our game changer. And uh, I think he really illustrated that this year. He's He had a terrific year. No, I agree. The other thing to mention just on that quickly is if your team trying to plan for Trey Hendrickson, with the greatest respect to the other um, defensive linemen on the Bengals, there's not... It's not like you've got two absolute units coming at you, and he's like, which one are we, you know, double teaming? Which one are we trying to scheme against? Trey Hendrickson, he's easily the guy that you want to try and stop on the Bengals, and he would have, you know, been up against a lot of, you know, very clever schemes from defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, sorry, to prevent him um, doing damage. So yeah, fair play to Trey. I think it's unquestioned that he, he's the one that deserves that award. Yeah, I agree. So there we go. Um, there's looking back a little bit, and I think it gives it also by looking back and identifying the 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 players who played really well. It also helps to identify the weak spots in this team, and that's something we'll be looking at in greater detail going forward. Um, we'll be sort of. We've got weakest player of the year award, have we? <laughs> no, we aren't. No, this is a celebration, Nathan. It's not fair to single anyone out for having a shit house of a year. So. Um, um, but we will start, begin to cast our minds forward. Obviously, we're waiting to see who will become our next offensive coordinator. Uh, that should be announced in the next couple of days, or certainly by the end of the week, you would imagine. Uh, so looking forward to seeing that. And uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be talking about, uh, 
you know, who we fancy for the Super Bowl, um, what we thought of the championship games, and all that, all that jazz. Um, so do join us. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Jay Morrison, as ever. It's about his eighth time on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from Jay. Um, uh, so yeah. Uh, so until next time, it is a who day from me. And a who day from me. Cheers, guys. And it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation.